Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey Tiefertiller, and thank you for joining us on our podcast, the Service Management Leadership Podcast. Today's our first guest. It's Kat McDermott, uh, KatrinaMcDermott.com. And so she's a ITIL 4 master, author, has a great podcast of her own in the service management world. I, uh, it's really good. Her, I've listened to several of her podcasts with, uh, I'll, I'll let her talk about some of her recent guests, but I was so excited that she was uh, allowed us the privilege of being our first guest on this podcast. So welcome, Kat. Thank you for uh, gracing us. Thank you, Jeffrey, and I'm honored to be your first guest on your podcast. Very, very honored indeed. Thank you. I'm excited. So who have you had on as recent guests? Let's tell, talk about some of your, your podcasts and some of your recent guests. Sure. So I wanted to uh, approach this a little bit differently, and it was a strategic move. I wanted to speak to the C-level suite of organizations. I think, in my humble opinion... Uh, as you mentioned, I'm an ITIL master and I think we focus on the wrong level of people sometimes. And when I say wrong, I don't mean that that's a bad thing. But I believe ITIL needs to come more from a leadership perspective. And again, in my opinion, we tend to focus on uh, IT folk in operations. And, as my, and I'm in operations, so I'm not in the C-suite. And as much as we love what we do and we try our our damnness to make good service if we don't have the support and understanding of leadership we're really not set up for success so that was one of the main catalysts of targeting c-levels and if i can be perfectly honest to you and to your listeners they have the money <laughs> yeah. yeah and you know um to invest in good service and to improve it takes money um, and that, that was, you know, as I said, my main catalyst for interviewing the C-Level Suite. I've been really lucky to have the type of people I have. Uh, my first guest was Marco Bill Peter from Red Hat. Quite an interesting story, Jeffrey, because um, I actually didn't realise how senior um, and well-known Marco was. And a uh, little cheeky old me from Australia just uh, emailed Marco. Uh, I'd actually met him in Munich last year at a conference. Um, we were both speakers. Um, and what I've found out from Marco and from all the guests I've interviewed is how very generous they are with their time. And not only their time, but they're really coaching me and guiding me to my journey. And, and that's just been incredible. And I say that with all sincerity, how terrific my guests have been. Um, and David Ratcliffe from Pink Elephant, who, who you know. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, what an amazing story he has to tell. Or many stories completely enjoyed that you know it seemed like a very short 30 minutes with David um, and I loved how David shared his personal journey talking about his family and his father and also and I believed him that he he, he believes in not taking shortcuts um, he's not interested in short-term wins and I think that this is a thing you know our listeners can learn from because I certainly learned also I've also had the opportunity to interview uh, Peter McDonald from Qantas. Again, terrific. Uh, I actually knew, know Pete um, personally and professionally. Uh, and again, shared some amazing insights. 
And Pete, I think I got the most from was um, his passion for people, for leadership, diversity within the workplace. Yeah, so it's been an amazing journey, Jeffrey. But um, as you will find out, um, it's not just a matter of pressing the record button when you do podcasts. <laughs> There's a heck of a lot of work that goes in the background. A lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning that quickly. And so uh, just putting out the intro and you mentioned the story of David. And so this, the, the funny story that I picked up with him and his father, his parents didn't, he was from uh, uh, the Great Britain and he's living in Toronto. And his, his parents didn't know what he did. They don't know what service management is. And many of our people that work in this field, they feel the same way. Somebody asks you what you do and you're like, I'm in IT, but I'm really not an IT person, you know, and it's one of those things that made me chuckle because I've had that conversation hundreds and hundreds of times and, you know, people are like, I don't know what that is. And like, I understand, you know, and they can't spell ITIL if you spell, spotted them the I's and the T's and so in the T and so I'm with you. And also when you mentioned the, that the C level, not only we, most of the people who are practitioners and directors and maybe vice presidents of service management, one of their struggles is whether it's leadership on the IT side or on the business side, gaining, gaining that adoption. And so your perspective, I think, is spot on, not only from the funding, but like change management, change control in, in ITIL 4 somebody's saying, why do we have to do these? You know, and Sorry, Jeffrey, can I, can I uh, interrupt you there? Change enablement? Yes. <laughs> I said change enablement. We can use all of those. Uh, so I, I just meant, though, those company, those people in those roles are like, I don't know, why do we have to put these in? You know, why do we have to record changes? Why do we have to record incidents if our, you know, because the leaders are believing that it takes time. And I appreciate you correcting me on the ITIL <laughs> for vernacular. And, you know, that's one of the things that I really see in today's world, uh, and we'll get to it, is I'm looking in the next few months. It's that there's going to be this ITIL 4, ITIL V3 clash because it's a different way of looking at things. And so uh, as we're talking on ITIL, how did you get started on your ITIL journey? Yeah, great question. I actually didn't start ITIL till quite a, later on in my life. Uh, my background was that of project management. And I mean, that's interesting itself being a project manager and not knowing about ITIL. <laughs> um, but I worked for a large taco in Sydney, Australia, and um, fortunate enough that they sponsored or put us through the expert level. Um, and uh, the trainer, who was quite a young, young chap, was explaining the different accreditations that you can... Uh, achieve through ITIL and Axelos um, and we talked about the expert level and then he was on I'll never forget it he was on the whiteboard and drawing the, the steps and then he got to the master level and I said me being me I said oh could you explain that because uh, he, he brushed over it very quickly and he said don't worry about it it's too hard uh, no one ever does it and that was that was a catalyst I'm like right I'm gonna do it <laughs> and so that was my journey and it li literally took me two years because I had to finish the expert level before you can go on to do your master's and then apply to do the master's. Um, that in itself was not an easy <laughs> process. And I was fortunate that Qantas allowed me to use the airline as my case study. And I always say it, uh, and I don't say this lightly, 
it has changed my career and my life. Um, and, you know, some people say, oh, she's too much in ITIL. And, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it's true. I wouldn't be where I am talking to you today if I hadn't done my master's. And I encourage, you know, anybody in our field to do it. Uh, it's not easy. And, and I often say, Jeffrey, that, um, you know, um, I didn't go to university, so I, I, don't I don't know how to write in an academic style, which is what the master's required. And there was many occasions where I, I'd give up because it just was, I found it too difficult to do. And I, I came to the fork in the road and I said, I can either give up or continue. And I made a decision to continue and I, um, I sought the help of a, a lecturer at a university in Sydney. And he helped me write it. He taught me how to write properly. <laughs> um, and it, even those skills I still use today. Uh, you know, he often said to me, Katrina, you talk, you write how you talk. Uh, talking to your friends in the back of a taxi you know no facts backed up or anything like that just all very emotional so now you know I'm very conscious of how I write and I'm making sure it's factual based and um, but obviously you know learning about service management at a organization enterprise level not just IT really um, was a fundamental shift in my understanding and appreciation of the how difficult it is for, for service management it, it is hard and um, and one of your next questions leads on to this about best practice. And, you know, I challenge that, um, which we'll talk about in a moment. But, yeah, but generally that's, that's the background of why I became an ITIL master. And, yes, there's only three of us in Australia. <laughs> and, and we think about 60 globally, yeah. And, Jeffrey, may I ask you, do you have uh, any motivation to do the ITIL masters? I do. Oh. I, do. I would enjoy it. I, I dig all that stuff. I... I I, for me, it's, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really love learning and writing. And when I started writing books, what was really funny is one of my former coworkers, he said, you talk like you're right. And I was like, is that good? Is that bad? <laughs> you know, because we all use different ways we describe things. And I probably describe things over overly much just because in my brain, I, I like people that paint those pictures for me. But the one thing from your story that I, I took that I is like, if we want Kat to do something, we just tell her it's too hard. And <laughs> she will take on that charge and say, I can do it. And, yes. <laughs> you know, I would love to. And, uh, you know, especially as it gets to, I believe that ITIL is a framework. It's not a hammer to be used. It's a framework to be implemented and used per organization, but to create the outcomes that that organization needs. And that's why I would really enjoy increasing my tool belt, so to speak, with that framework so I could use it better to help people out, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, that's again, one of the main reasons I did it and, and the benefit of it. Because uh, I remember I said to somebody, I'm like, oh, I actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I feel I have a level of authority now. And certainly if I don't, I have access to amazing people, you know, at Axelos that I, c I can refer to. And within our network also, you know, that you would know also. Yeah. So, yeah, as I said, highly recommend <laughs> the pain. It's, there's a lot of gain to do your master's. I will put that in. My next one's the transition from V3 over Title Four, And that's what I, I'm looking forward to. In fact, I'm this big of a nerd, so people can laugh. It's okay. When in my previous employer, one of my employees went through, one of my team went through the foundations and sent me their book, fine, the ITIL 4 book. I'm on an airplane reading it and then seeing how well I do on the test, you know, on the sample <laughs> test, just because, 
you know, can I, and so I digested it, the book in like two or three hours and on a, you know, U.S. airplane uh, flight and then saw how well I did on the test. I did well, but you know, it's that challenge to say, how can we do better? So I have this view and it'll come up in a little bit later too, but I think COVID will delay the implementation, the widespread implementation of ITIL four in big corporations. You know, many of these organizations are set up in uh, B3 and now they have tight budgets. How would you recommend somebody implementing ITIL 4? Just like you, you corrected me, rightly so, <laughs> on the change enablement versus change management. But you know, given all the constraints, how would you recommend somebody uh, making that big, that big shift in their organization? Yeah, I, I think it um, sort of raises another point, Jeffrey. In, again, in my opinion, I feel ITIL 4 is more of a philo philosophy way of working rather than as much as what I told version three was, was a, a framework which you know we do argue and debate that we took it too seriously and, and too close you know too prescriptive with I told version three even though it was never meant to be I, I think we all most companies did you know this is a process and this is best practice and this is how you do it turn left then right whereas I told four is is not like that and as you know, I also uh, specialize in human-centered design, and that mm -hmm. is a philosophy. And this is where I see a great uh, connection between the two. Um, and uh, Akshay from Axelos, again, I'm sure you know, was asked this question when we were in Vegas at um, the Pink Elephant Conference this year. And Akshay's response was to, how do you start with ITIL 4? And it's guiding principles. And I totally agree. And also ITIL 4 is really more about the customer experience and think about the customer and then design the processes. Um, and at the risk of offending our <laughs> the ITIL version 3, you know, people that are very passionate about it, um, I don't think that we really did think and understand the customer. We said we did, you know, we create value, deliver value, we used to say in ITIL 3, um, but we didn't. And, and as I said, when I started to learn about human-centered design and we have the concept of personas and customer journey map and empathy and, you know, understanding the problem before we jump into the solution. And, you know, I used to think, why don't we use this in IT? And because we don't, we, you know, as I said, our concept of a customer was an end user. Um, we might have had a VIP, you know, and that's, that's about as far as it went or, or someone with admin rights. So it wasn't about them. It was about what they did. And, and I think ITIL 4 has introduced that concept um, in a great way. And that to me is how we can start implementing ITIL 4 without a great deal of expense of a slow shift in change of how we design support our services. That's a great answer. And, and to even pile onto that and B3, most organizations, when I mentioned they're set up for B3, it really means transition operations and maybe <laughs> a little bit of improvement. But when we look at B3, how many companies did demand management well or the BRM role well? Very few. And so it's been my experience that very, when you mentioned C-suite, I think it's spot on because nobody asked the customer, Hey, what do you, what is it you're trying to achieve? What outcomes? 
you know, the, the old adage of IT saying, here it is in blue. And the customer said, I want it in green. And, you know, well, here it is in blue, you know, and I just, there's always that disconnect for me. And I'm passionate about us trying to deliver because those in IT do not want to admit this, but I think that's 100% true. And I, I welcome your feedback. But the people in the business are the ones that pay the IT salaries. They're the ones that fund IT. So we might as well try to understand what they need, what they want, what outcomes they're trying to achieve, and then work towards that. That should be our starting point in how we work forward. I, I, I welcome your feedback on that. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Jeffrey. And again, you know, I look back when I was working in operations and I'll just um, say something very quickly because I think it's quite funny how you said how we used to implement ITIL, you know, and um, Troy Dublin from Pink Elephant. I don't know if you've heard of the ITIL dance mm -hmm. that he's mm -hmm. created and the ITIL dance is uh, instant problem change, stop. You know, <laughs> that, that's all he's, that's what we do, you know. Um, but yes, uh, yeah, as I said, I, I look back uh, when I was designing support models or contracts you know this is best practice this is this is what we do and um and i use that example uh, at Qantas where uh if you're a boarding agent or check-in agent and you're trying to board you know 300 passengers and airlines have very strict kpis you know board your passengers from door opening within 20 minutes um and the scanner breaks down they're simply not going to call the service desk um, and again, you know, understanding personas and designing services around those personas is something that we just did not do. Um, and what happens is that uh, the, in this example, the persona uh, are very resilient. So they'll find another scanner that works. Um, and then what happens is we end up with a lot of broken equipment in, at the airports and, and people go, Oh, IT, they're useless. You know, so, and, and this is where, you know, I, I think that in ITIL version 3, we didn't do this very, very well of understanding the customers and designing the services for them. And, you know, it, it might initially have taken a bit more time and a bit more investment. But certainly, you know, we, we continually, uh, I guess it keeps us gainfully employed, Jeffrey. You know, we used to continually do continual improvement, continual service improvement. And it's like, well, let's get it right in the first place um, and do real continual improvement, not things that we should have done correctly. I'm with you. And so I would say continual service improvement in many organizations, like a dog chasing its tail. Sometimes it runs faster and it thinks it's close to the tail, but the tail's moving just as fast. Exactly. And, you yeah. know, uh, in my previous organization, when we were, rolling out a project, we did pr uh, personas for training. And I thought that was a great idea, right? Because I told training or trainings for a new initiative should be based upon personas. And we should think of those personas as the consumers of our services, the consumers of what we're doing, and then say, how can I create X, whether it's training or a solution that helps them achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve. and you know, that's, you mentioned the human, the human aspect, and there's so much of the human aspect that goes, that goes unsaid. You know, we, we see things from a tool side or a pure ITIL framework side, and there's so much of the human, which brings me to my next question. When somebody goes to your website, they see, and I'm going to use air quotes here, challenging IT best practice, redefining your service management, 
that one quote, plus they also see designing for people, not processes. Why did you choose these? I, I guess um, similar to what I mentioned earlier, Jeffrey, is that I, I was a really big advocate of um, arguing with end users or, you know, colleagues about, you know, this is best practice. This is how you do it. And, you know, as I said, best practice dictates that if you have an issue as an end user, you contact the service desk. That's best practice. Best practice dictates that the service desk analyst has to contact the end user three times before the ticket is closed. That's best practice. And that's what I challenge. For example, why does the service desk analyst have to call an end user three times? Yeah, I, I would say- Arbitrary. Yeah, I, once. Because what, what uh, you know, I did a lot of research obviously with my masters and what I found was uh, on average 40% of, and when I'm, of a vendor's service desk analyst, so we're talking um, level two essentially, so highly skilled people were spending nearly 40% of their time chasing end users. Now, where is the value in that? And, and a lot of times, do end users really care either? And if they did care, they'd had the courtesy, <laughs> if I can be so bold, to call back. Um, and, and, you know, we'd make the process easier to make that call back. But again, chasing up users that, uh, especially at an air airline, airport, that typically don't have a desk phone or a phone, typically work shift work <laughs> and typically don't really care. Where is the value, as I said, of um, the analyst spending all that time chasing it up? So that, that's what I mean. I'm, I'm challenging it. And I'm not saying it's wrong and I'm not saying sometimes that it can't work, but challenge it. Don't go, oh, this is best practice. Let's, let's do it this way. And, and as I said, I've negotiated, you know, fairly hefty contracts based on best practice. And I, again, in my opinion, think a lot of behaviours that we see in IT with service providers are spawned from the contracts. And um, if we go back to the problem space and, and we look at that, I, I think there's a great opportunity for improvement. Um, and I, yeah, in answer to your question, that's, that's why I challenge it. Because I, I think I said to you, uh, Jeffrey, in our pre-interview, uh, before COVID, when I had the opportunity to travel the world and speak at conferences and, and train in person, I'd always get my audience to put on a post-it note, what do you think the business thinks of IT? And 98% of those post-it notes, and I've got proof, I've got a pile of them at home, are negative. Um, IT is too complex, too slow, they don't understand our business, all over the place. And that makes me really sad. <laughs> it really does. Because uh, as I said, I'm in operations and we don't want to feel like that. We want to go to work and, and feel that we're contributing to business outcomes and, and making people's lives better and easier. But our perception of the business is not like that. So it's not working. So that's what I'm saying. Challenge it. <laughs> and I'm happy to be challenged um, on that. Yeah. W would you agree with what my thoughts are, Jeffrey? I am. I think a lot of it's arbitrary. I think we assign best practice to a lot of things, not just in IT, you know, and we have to look at situations on an individual basis. Many companies that three sh maybe should be six and others, it should be one with the chat box. And I, ha I have two teenagers and I can't color them in the same brush on almost anything. How am I going to say this is one best practice is good for 
the tens of thousands of organizations around around the world mm. over time that it won't age. You know, some companies mature faster than others. Some have better resources than others. I'm right there with you on the challenging just because how can we paint, you know, the brush so widely? Is that kind of where you were thinking? Yeah, 100%, absolutely. But I also think in fairness to, you know, let's say us, <laughs> that, you know, we've been born and bred a certain way. Um, and we look at big organisations um, like banks and, and airlines and finance companies that they, act, they do use design thinking. They do personas. They do customer journey mapping. You know, they absolutely do. And here in IT that are supporting these large organisations, we don't do that. And, and, it, and that's what I mean. Like I find now in reflection, it's very ironic. Um, and again, this is not a, a slight or a criticism, but when I was, I, I tell this story quite often, but when I was doing my ITIL masters and um, you know, yourself, Jeffrey and ITIL version three, we had very you know, thick, hefty books um, mm -hmm. and they were terrific, great, great content in there. Um, and I, like you on the plane, I, I had to <laughs> read, read them all. But, um, and you know, you read about value or delivering value to our customers, et cetera. But in all those books, and I think there's like 3,000 pages, there's not one picture of a human. And so when we're designing it, I, I think, you know, because we were not, um, it was not fr in front of sight about, you know, a human and, the, and a person and a customer and, and what they're doing and how they're feeling and what motivates them. We just didn't think about it that to a large extent when we designed our service models um, and wrote contracts, et cetera. And I, I just think that's quite a, like a poetic little story and hence yeah. in in ITIL 4 uh, you know I've had the privilege to write the storyline that appears throughout all, all the books publications about Axel car hire and the idea of that is to just you know I'm not going to say brainwash but just just think about you know people and and how they feel and as I said what motivates them and make sure that you as you said with your children that you're, you're thinking about the whole array and and so I guess in summary, what I'm trying to say is that we weren't set up for success in our career. Um, and mm -hmm. I think ITIL 4 is now changing that. Um, and that's what I think is terrific. And, and so us folk in IT and IT operations um, will have a different perspective and more empathy on the design of our services. And I, I love the answer. And I was also thinking about the need for organizational change management within IT and how that's so missing when we're trying to put through changes, change enablement, changes <laughs> that are gonna be big, big impacts to our business customers. Why are we not having those conversations early on? Where something's down, you know, we put in changes at the wrong time of day and it impacts the customer where we could have just had a nice, easy conversation and say, how can I work this around you? You know, from the persona's point of view or even the organizational change management you know, that's where I really am with you on this. And you're so focused on the people aspect of IT and IT service management. What was, what I was going to ask you the obvious question of what led you down this path, but was there a defining moment that you said, aha, we have gone too far to this technical, this beat somebody over the head with the rule book? Because we like rules, you know, we in society, we like being told, this is good, this is bad, do this, you'll be good, right? We like that. 
but it comes at a cost of the human side. And I think that's what you're saying. But was there a defining moment that you said, we've gone too far? Yes, absolutely. And it's a bit of a story. So I hope you don't mind. Oh, yes. I My profile on LinkedIn uh, said I was a service design manager at Qantas because in ITIL version three, as you know, we had the life cycle and uh, I worked in uh, service design and service transition. And, and my profile said things like, you know, design services um, to ensure return on investment, uh, to ensure customer satisfaction and, you know, all, all these things. And uh, a colleague in Sydney contacted me via LinkedIn and they said, based on your profile, we think you'd make a great lecturer um, on human-centred design. And I'd never heard of human-centred design. <laughs> so there was a, a mix-up, if you will, of ITIL service design and human-centred service design. And that's how it started. So, um, and the academy is called Academy XI. They're located in Sydney. And they took a, a big leap of faith. And I taught a little bit of ITIL in their courses. But I think most importantly, I was sitting through the course with my uh, co-lecturer, Stephen Graham, and I'm like, why don't we use this in ITIL? <laughs> like, I'm like, wow. You know, the, the students had, had done a lot of research. You know, we actually used Qantas as a case study. We did um, baggage handling and you know, what happens when your baggage gets lost. And we did the whole end-to-end -end journey of and using a bag as an example. And I remember, like, the students drew. It was visual. And what we do in, in IT is we get up Visio. And we do a process map. Whereas here I'm like, oh my gosh, like, and it told such an amazing story that was really easy to understand about what goes wrong, where it goes wrong. And there was not one swim lane in sight. <laughs> and, and that's really how my journey started. It was that wild moment. Like, why don't we use this in ITIL? Yeah, that and that's... If we should. And mm. we should, right? And, throw Vizio you know, away, you Jeffrey. Throw it away. <laughs> you mentioned the bags. The, the throw it away is what happens to my bag, but that's a different story. I've never flown Qantas. All right. As we wrap up, I have two great questions for you. Since you're an ITIL master and author, you're an expert. In five years from now, hopefully we're done with all this COVID nonsense and there's not COVID-23 by then. We look back at the introduction and implementation of ITIL 4, what will we notice is the biggest shift in the way IT organizations see service management? Because when we went from ITIL V2 to V3, it was a big shift, you know, moving towards a little bit of a view of a business customer. What will, they, what will be this on ITIL 4? And it doesn't have to be a by the book answer, but what's your thoughts from your experience? Well, my thoughts on my dream and aspiration is that when I do as you said when this is all over and I'm presenting at conferences again and I ask my audience to write on a post-it note what do you think the business thinks of IT they've got to say they're fantastic <laughs> they understand us two percent it's down to 92% disapproval rating. No, right? 100%. 100% post-it notes will say IT are fantastic that's what I think. Oh my that is a I appreciate your ambition in this because <laughs> it, you know, those that are close to us probably don't, aren't even a hundred percent in my favor very often. Ah, all right. Last question. This one I think is another good one. Another pull out your crystal ball, 
look far into the future, what will ITIL 5 look like? What will be the advances, the new aspects in ITIL 5 or V5, whatever it's called? Maybe you have insight that I don't, <laughs> but what do you think it'll look like? I, I, I don't know if I'll still be working. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think all of our community, Jeffrey, have, will have retired and will be lying in the sun in Florida or the south of France. And and our technology uh, will be completely different. And look, you know, to be honest, I, I don't know what IT is going to look like in the future and whether there will be an IT department and maybe, you know, ITIL will be um, renamed to something, you know. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, the rate of technology and change is, is, you know, very, very frightening at the best of times. Um, but I think, you know, ITIL 4, it's got to be with us for a, a long time and, and, that, and that's the idea of it. That's ITIL 4, this is now service management that will continue to evolve um, and, you know, improve continual improvement <laughs> yes. um, along those lines. And that, that's how I see the future is that we, we are working better with the business. And as I said, ITIL4 has certainly put us in great stead for that and it will just evolve um, in, into, uh, and as I said, I, I'd like to say philosophy rather than a framework. Mm. So I, let, me, let me give two thoughts on mine. A, I think we're going to have technology throughout the enterprise. So it'll be more of enterprise service management than IT service management. That's just... Technology is everywhere. It's being used by everyone. Even the shadow IT will have to adopt some type of framework. And second of all, I expect security to have a larger role because now it is uh, throughout all of our organization. So security processes, security roles will have to be intertwined with service management. That's just, you know, a, a security incident should be viewed the same as an incident of a break fix. You know, I, I expect us to make that kind of jump in maturity. Do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I don't disagree, but I also think um, security as we and how we think we handle it today will be very different um, yes. in five years time. You know, there may not be anything as a security incident anymore because, you know, the technology is so amazing, you know, that it, it can be, we can do, you know, um, preventative <laughs> measures to, to, to stop incidents of that sort. Yeah. You're a dreamer, aren't you? Because <laughs> there's a lot of people that are nefarious trying to do bad to each of us. In the IoT world, as it interfaces, just one aspect, mm. interfaces with service management scares me mm. because people are trying to, not to go way off topic, make Peloton bikes and washing machines at hotels, make those into configuration items. And now we're like, okay, how do we secure them? How do we treat them in an organized, methodical manner? blah, 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 blah. And so that's where I was going. So our audience, I want to plug this one more time. Go visit Katrina McDermott's podcast, her website, follow her on LinkedIn. This has been awesome. I really enjoyed this, this conversation. Hopefully my audience has. Let me turn it over to you, Kat, for any closing remarks. Again, Jeffrey, I'm, I'm honoured to be your first guest. Um, uh, yeah, I can't express enough to, to thank you for the opportunity. And I, I agree, I've really enjoyed. The time has just absolutely flown. And likewise, I hope our audience has enjoyed the podcast. And thank you for um, plugging my website. And I look forward to and any questions that your audience may have. More than happy to, to answer. Um, yeah, so thank you again. And I look forward to speaking to you shortly. Thank you very much. And also, let me say this. If any organizations needing ITIL 4 training, ITIL 4 guidance, 
cat's your woman. And so now we, through COVID, our technology's better. I'm sure she can deliver that training uh, through Zoom or some other mechanism. Contact her if you have questions about ITIL 4, how to get started on your journey, any of that sort of thing. And so I, I think a lot of her, as you all can tell from this conversation, and so please uh, look her up. And Kat, thank you once again and have a great day. Absolute pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, everyone. And we'll be right back with Jeffrey's closing thoughts. And we're back with closing thoughts. A big thank you to Kat for being our guest number one, our guinea pig. She set the bar really high, didn't she? And so stay tuned for our next guest. We'll announce that in the coming days. I wanted to wrap up with two points, follow up on our conversation with Kat. Number one, companies will be slow to adopt ITIL 4 because organizations are still set up according to ITIL v3. Think about how your organization handles service operations, how that interacts with your service providers, external, if you have any. And ITIL v4 is really gonna be a different mindset for many organizations. So then when we layer in the COVID stuff on top of this situation, think of the shortage of finances, shortage of people resources, all of this, it's really gonna hinder that adoption. And second of all, and this is a point that I wanna make often around service management as a whole, and I appreciated Kat's uh, bringing up the human aspect. And it's the human side of service management is underappreciated, it's underserved. Many people, many organizations are tool-centric, and that's great, there are some awesome tools out there. But humans are needed to fund the program, to interpret the data, to code the platform, to build bridges with our business stakeholders, to help us understand what services we have and uh, negotiate the SLAs, to build processes, and you see where I'm going. It's on, that, that list is ongoing, it's endless. And so since humans are needed in those manner, in those manners, in those ways, there's just a shortage of ways to help those people. So we at Service Management Leadership want to be there for you. You can contact me. You can go to our website, www.servicemanagement.us. You can look uh, Jeffrey T. Fertiller on LinkedIn or our company page. But we want to be there to help serve those service management leaders in this way that building up their their own resources and people. How do we help mature our processes? How do we get from here to there? That's what we're here for. And lastly, this, this platform, this podcast is here to serve in that same way. Those shared experiences, how can we help our fellow people across the globe in similar circumstances, how, how can we help them be successful? This is Jeffrey T. Fertiller. Thank you once again to Kat for being our our first guest. Thank you for being with us as an audience. Uh, I know you'll be excited for our second guest and our third. We have a, quite a few lined up and it's really exciting because they're all different types of, of conversations and stories and I'm looking forward to it. And You can tell I'm excited and so I wish you a great day and thank you once again.